afternoon, Black family. Hey, is here. Um, I've got Brother Phil Scott. He's talking about that judge down at Tulsa that threw out that case of the Tulsa race riot survivors that's still living. They range from 108 on down. I don't know the exact ages. I just know one is 108. Uh, this content is, uh, I don't know how long it is, but let's go ahead and start it. Tonight on the podcast, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to talk about a very despicable judge out of Tulsa, Oklahoma, because there was a court case that was before her about what happened with our brothers and sisters in Black Wall Street. So let's get into this. So the last three known survivors of the white supremacist terror attack that happened in Tulsa, also known as Black Wall Street, was one of the country's deadliest acts of white supremacist terrorism. We appeal a judge's recent decision to dismiss their lawsuit seeking reparations to the state Supreme Court. The attorneys announced Monday. Now, Lessie Benningfield Randall, 108 years old, Viola Fletcher, 109, and her brother, Hughes Van Ellis, 102, had been locked in a years-long legal battle against the city of Tulsa and other officials over opportunities taken from them when the city's Greenwood neighborhood, the Black Wall Street, was burned to the ground by a violent white supremacist mob in 1921. Now, the black people at that time period could not be nowhere near the white supremacists. They told them, listen, you be whatever you want to be, but you can't do it here. So they went all the way in Indian territory and they built Greenwood or AKA Black Wall Street. They built it with their own hands. There was no such things as a government handout. There was no such thing as affirmative action. It was you had to get it out of the mud and build it yourself. They built this by merit. And you think, listening to the white supremacists today, to tell you, hey, well, black people, you should just work hard and, 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 and do things by merit and, and you'll be successful. Right? But when we have done this time and time and time and time again in history, the white supremacists did not like any kind of black progress. If you want to make the white supremacists upset, brothers and sisters, you don't have to call them a name. Don't call them a name. Just win. You don't have to say nothing ugly. Just be successful. You don't have to argue with them. Just travel. When you're traveling, they're looking at you. Well, especially when you go ride business class, first class, or you're really looking at you. And then some of them even bold enough to come up to you and say, well, well, what do you do for a living? Now, if I read that spirit on them, that's what they're asking me, I'm going to tell them exactly what I do for a living. I'll call out racism, white supremacy, because it's an evil that needs to be called out, and no righteous person will support that. You don't support white supremacy, do you? You agree with me, right? See, don't ask me that question. I want y'all to ask me that question. Because I'm going to give you the answer you're looking for. For me, since you want to get in my business. Because they always pocket watching black people. They, all, they don't pocket watch nobody else but us. 
So when black people have built not not just this, they built hundreds of towns in this country, not neighborhoods. You're always talking about, oh, we need to fix our neighborhood. No, no, no. It wasn't a neighborhood that we built. We built towns. Us being put in neighborhoods is what the white supremacist done. Oh, you know what? We got to put them in a neighborhood in a city controlled by us instead of a city built by us and we run and control everything. You understand? Us being put in neighborhoods is why we go through the problems that we go through instead of having our own town. And beyond which, there are so many, so many uh, unincorporated uh, land mass in, in the U.S. right now that is, is, if you look for it, trust me, you can get it and rebuild a city if you want. But I also understand why some black people have a generational fear of doing things. Because you start getting ahead, what's the first thing black people gonna tell you? Man, you better be careful. Because you know, the folks, man, they, they may not like that. And, and you build all that stuff, they're gonna try to just come destroy it and burn it to the ground. Or, you understand why? Why you think where that come from? That come from the thousands of times this has happened to black people. We build something up, Satan comes and destroys it. See, no other group in this country can say that they built something and Satan came destroyed multiple times. I'm not talking about back in the gap. I'm talking about multiple times. Even in the 1960s. Immigrants come over to this country. They can build. They can have an American dream built off of our American nightmare because of everything we fought for. That's why they can, and then they have the nerves to come to this country and say, black people need to work hard. Nobody work harder than black folk. And, and what what's pisses black people off is that we live in the age of information. You can go to Google and research our history within 15, 20 minutes. Just take that much time and research everything we built. Research what happened to our town, what happened to our businesses, what happened uh, to us with the Harlem Renaissance. What happened to all of that stuff that, that we've done? Research about the Highway Act and how that destroyed a lot of black businesses. Nobody found a, a highway in the middle of Chinatown. Nobody. Nobody found a highway through Little Korea. But they made sure to throw highways right in the middle of our successful business district destroying all of our uh, income and wealth or taking our land through eminent domain or raising taxes in a way where black people can't afford it and making it astronomical so you can take your land that way. These people have invested so much in economic sabotage of black people. It's not even funny. Well, let's continue. So Judge Caroline Wall, let's put a picture up, dismissed the case on Friday. They continue to say, they say, we were forced to plead this case beyond what is required under Oklahoma standards, which is certainly a familiar circumstance where black Americans asked the American legal system to work for them. And now Judge Wall has condemned us to language on Oklahoma's appellate docket. The three survivors said in a statement read by attorney DeMario Solomon Simmons during a Monday news conference. They say, but we would not go quietly. They say, we will continue to fight until our last breaths. And I can respect that. They say they're going to fight and even to continue to fight. Now, this is what I will say also to that. Where, where is our Harvard graduate legal scholars, Harvard law, black people? Where is your Yale law degree people? Where is your Columbia and your Brown 
and, and, and UC Berkeley and all you black people that went to these schools for law. You should be getting involved in that case. That case is a pivotal case for black America. Now, you remember when the white supremacists, when you talk about lineage-based reparations, the white supremacists tell you, well, you know, we would understand if you guys came directly out of slavery, then that would be a little bit different conversation. But you guys are never slaves, so how come you think you get reparations? Okay, Mr. and Ms. White Supremacists, these three black people actually survived a terrorist attack that was done by y'all. And now your particular judge dismissed the case. Now, and the interesting part is, remember we talked about this affirmative action. And we talked about in previous podcasts how white women are the biggest benefactor of affirmative action. And look at what white women do to black people constantly. See, I have to understand something. And I got a video going to be coming on the black congregation probably tomorrow. Well, a white woman's going to tell you since, you know, sometimes y'all may not believe me. When it comes to white women, they are white supremacy first. It don't matter what they man do to them, no matter how much they complain, they always will side with they man and always side with their people. You have to understand, it is cultural at this point for the white supremacist. It's part of white supremacist culture to be an anti-black racist. When you don't like a person, it usually just kind of stay with you, but when you have kids, they, they are so far removed from them. Like, ain't got nothing to do with me. I don't know what you got going on. But they teach their children anti-black racism because it's part of their demonic culture. And the reason I call it demonic is because that's evil. The scriptures teach hating people without a cause is evil. It is evil. And when you have that kind of hatred, you do the things that you do to black people. So to teach your children and pass it down to this child and that child and that child, you're passing this down. No one, is, when they're born into the earth, no matter what human being it is, they have no hatred for nobody. Hatred is taught. And they're teaching their children from the time that they can even talk to have anti-black racism. And if a white person see the error in that and they say, you know what, this is not right, I'm going to break away from this, they are a pariah in their community because they're going against cultural norms. Anti-black racism is a cultural norm. This is why that particular white person is attacked when they call out the cultural norm. This is why that white person is even called inward lover because they're going against the cultural norm. Do you know they'll become more violent toward a white person who stand against white supremacy than even a black person in history there were a lot of white people who were hanging from trees too and strung up by the claim why because they dared to speak against and fight anti-black racism they don't even want the white people that fought for the freedom of black people even being spoken about there's no statues erected to these particular white people they want them forgotten in history. And I've always said, and I know a, a couple of them um, in history, you know, they talk about John Brown, Viola Louisa, people like that. She was killed by the Klan, actually. She was an Italian woman. 
and fought, you know, for during the civil rights movement. Um, even the movie Selma, they they talk about her in that movie, right? But they never really want to mention that lady at all. There's a, plenty of white people in history that have tried to stand up and fight, but but the greater white society said, mm -mm, we don't talk about them because they was outside of the cultural norm. We want them forgotten. And I, I say to myself many times, I say, you know what? Maybe something should be made about them. So they will not be forgotten. Because listen, I don't have a problem honoring people that fought for black people. Individuals, I don't have a problem with that. Because I believe, like the white supremacists, well, you need to support and honor the people that fought for the black community. Whether they part of the community or not, as individuals. I didn't say the whole group, but as individuals. Now let's continue. They said during the news conference, Solomon Simmons said, they found out about the judge's decision Friday night and called it an unexpected and hurtful, difficult blow. For me, I don't look at it as unexpected, but he looked at it that way. Because I know the white supremacists, I know they're not going to go uh, down easy with justice. He said they waited 102 years trying to get justice and reparations for themselves, their families, and the community here in Tulsa. And for me to get a phone call, I could not believe it. We were completely blown away. He said, adding that it was painful having to tell his clients the case was dismissed. Mm -hmm. As I said before, Becky is going to stand with white supremacy. Many black women have seen that over the past few election cycles. You hear them crying about their white man and what they done to him and Roe v. Wade and all that. And then you go look at the election. What they do? Go vote with their man. Any policy is going to, and, and like I said, the video we'll put up tomorrow, the, the, the white lady is going to explain why they do what they do. I mean, I don't want to give away the video. I don't want to go too deep into what she said, why. But they're always going to stand with their people. Remember that. Now, we may have issues with each other in the black community, right? It's time for you to put that aside and say, look, I'm standing with black people. Yeah, I may not like him. I may not like her. But when the road meets the road, I'm going to have to stand with her. I'm going to have to stand with him. Because we got to be about the black community and the business of the black community. Now, I say part of why I say they were surprised by the decision, the attorney said, was because the same judge who dismissed the case had ruled last year the lawsuit could move forward. So as Solomon Simmons said in the news conference, the attorneys have yet to see the judge's final written order, he said. So that is strange. If the judge, the judge just threw it out then, but yet she come back later and said, "Now nah, I'm gonna dismiss it." She was, she was talked to. Oh yeah, she was talked to. For her even hearing that case, well, guess the thing. This is what they were probably told about the scene. Look, you gonna have to dismiss that case because let's say you rule in their favor, even if you give them a minimal amount of money, it's not even about the money right now. Is that if you give them a middle amount of money, there's going to be a bunch of them suing for all the things that happen to them. Church bombings, clan things happen. Uh, they'll be suing us left and right if you do this. And then they're going to go to the, to the Supreme Court or somewhere with this ruling and use it for reparations. And then if, you, and if they can get reparations here in America, then we all know that that's already going to spread throughout the world because they're already talking about reparations now because Black America got the conversation started. Now people in the African continent are talking about reparations. You got the Caribbean talking about reparations. 
Well, so if we was to get reparations, then these other groups would get reparations. So no, 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 no. You, you got you to get rid of this case. And see what they bank on is us saying, oh, my God, no, and put our head down and go lick our wounds and go sit down somewhere. But no, they're dismissing this case to fuel you even more. If you understand, fighting for reparations is like a war. In war, you're going to lose battles. That happens. You're going to win some, you're going to lose some. When you win a war, you don't care about how many battles you lost. You're like, I won, right? So in order to win a war, you got to look at the battles and how you lost. You got to look at, okay, how did I lose this battle? What went right in that battle? What went wrong? And now I'm going to take everything that went wrong, sure myself up next time, so I'll go back, back into the fight, then I know how to fight. Never look at a failure as, oh, my God, I failed. I got to give up. No. Look at that as a teaching moment. That's just a life lesson. Look at failure as a teaching moment. Learn from that failure and then apply what you learned so you don't fail again. So he has not seen the order yet. And I would love to see the order because I want to read it myself because I haven't heard it being put online as of yet. They say in their lawsuit, the plaintiffs argued damage inflicted during the massacre was a public nuisance and sought relief to recover for unjust enrichment of this game from the exploitation of the massacre. Now, let me tell you about that. You know how they always like to talk about black people, and let's say during George Floyd, oh, look out, they're looting, oh, they're stealing. Nobody stole more than the white supremacists. Nobody. If it wasn't attached to the ground, they stole it. Sure. You better believe that. Like I saw somebody the other day, and I was laughing about this, saying that the only reason that they didn't steal the pyramids in Egypt is because they couldn't carry it. <laughs> yeah, because anything that, that, that's not attached to the ground, they steal it, okay? And then they want to put on you, black people, that you the, the, the biggest thief of them. Like, that's crazy. It's crazy the projection. But if you go back to that time period and you look at what happened, scholars have said that when they came back from World War I, they came back broke and dusty. And then when they looked over and saw black people living good, dressing good, didn't need them for anything, they said, how is it that those black people, say another word, not say another word, living so good and we're living poor. See, everything that all that, that attack came from jealousy because they couldn't measure up. You understand? If you look at, when you talk about merit, if you talk about equal playing field, let's compete and see who wins, the white supremacists know they will fall to the bottom. So they got to keep an artificial system in place to keep them at the top because they can't compete. And they may, and this is the bad part. They have been used for so long for not competing that when they get put in a world and a system they're going to have to compete in, because which they will, they're not even prepared to compete with nobody. They're not compared to, they are not prepared. But let's continue. It's a Cornell's Legal Information Institute defines a public nuisance as when a person or entity unreasonably interferes with the rights that the general public shares in common. It's our public nuisance law here in Oklahoma 
is much more specific and more on point for our particular issue. You see, it deals with if something interfered with someone's right to property, the use of their property, or destroyed or commits a crime by doing that, the Tulsa Race Massacre meets the definition 100%. And y'all have to understand something. When they were destroying Greenwood, a.k.a. Black Wall Street, the men and the women were involved. And there, and there has been reports that they were, while the black people trying to escape, they was going into these people's homes, stealing their dishes, stealing their paintings. The women were trying on the dresses of black women. So steal, they were stealing everything. When they couldn't steal, they destroyed. You understand? Now you told those black people they couldn't live with you at the time. You say, you can't live over here, black people. Go away, go somewhere. So they go away from you and build their own. And here you come to destroy it. They don't like to talk about their history. Notice, well, notice right now, they're trying to say, oh, you can't have this book in a library. You can't have this book. You can't have that book. Your history is so horrible that you don't want nobody to know about it. Your history is so horrible, you don't want nobody to know about it. No, let's talk about true American history. Let everybody know the history of America. The world likes to know. Why are you so embarrassed about your history? You say we're the greatest country on earth, right? Well, let people know how this country became the greatest country on earth. Let them know the origins. Now, I continue to say, but the city of Tulsa asked for the suit to be dismissed. Arguing that simply being connected to a historical event does not provide a person with unlimited rights to seek compensation from any project in any way related to that historical event. So by that logic, then the Japanese should have got money for being in an internment camp. By that logic, uh, the Jewish community should have got any kind of money from the United States at all, whether they got money here or money keep being funneled to Israel every year, according to you. Everybody can get paid for their pain and suffering, but not black America. I told you, you're dealing with the devil. And the devil do not want to see God's children be made whole. But understand something. It's not by what the white supremacists say. It's by what we fight and what the Lord say at the end of the day. If I focus everything in my life personally on what the white supremacists say about black people, about black men in particular, I wouldn't be my man today. When you are a courageous man or woman and you stand up and fight for what's right and you fight to do what you need to do, you will get there. And that's the difference with, the, with us versus them. We don't fight to subjugate nobody. We don't fight to oppress anybody. We don't fight to uphold a system that's artificial. The only thing that black people ever said was this. Look, we just want to just leave us alone. We want an equal system. That's all we want. We don't leave us alone. And they could not do that. And they still can't do that to this day. Because even when today you say, you know what? Okay. Okay, Mr. and Ms. White Supremacist. Got it. You don't want us around. Okay. Well, let's go. We're going to go over here. You stay over there where you at. And we're going to go over here. Well, why you guys want segregation? Remember, like, a lot of people say, okay, you, you're treating us this way, our kids in schools, but we need to build our own schools. Why you want those schools? Why? 
Well, you know why they don't want you away from them? Because they want to make sure they educate you into racism and white supremacy when they're at the top and you're at the bottom. If you're educating yourself, then you're not going to teach our children that. When black people say, hey, that's bank black, let's go to black-owned banks, who was the first one to complain? The white supremacists. You would think they'll be like, yeah, hell yeah, go over there. Yeah, please, get out of our banks. No. What's the first thing they said? Well, don't you think that's kind of racist? I mean, you want to go to a bank just because it's owned by black people? Hmm. But didn't Bank of America just today, and there's a news report, got to pay $250 million because they was caught opening accounts in people's names? They was caught, they were taking too much money from people in overdraft fees. For instance, if you had a gym membership and they, and you didn't have enough money in your account, they charged you a $35 overdraft fee. And if they, if they was to try to do it like within a, a day or two or a week or whatever, let's say they tried four times and they declined them four times. Bank of America would charge you 35, 35, 35, 35. And the federal government like, no, you can't do that. I was like, well, thank God they actually doing, trying to do something about it. The Consumer uh, Finance Protection Bureau is a beautiful thing, trust me. When you got a problem with a bank, any credit entity, report them, trust me. The feds will get involved with that when you start reporting them. Black people don't use the federal government enough as we should. It's like I told you about hate crimes. You report a hate crime to your local police and you go make a report with the FBI. They have to investigate hate crime. It goes all the way up to the Civil Rights Division of the Department of Justice. The black people don't utilize those uh, avenues enough. You let the local PD uh, do deal with it. It don't matter what they say. Oh, it's not a hate crime. No, I'm reporting. Let's continue. So they say when the violence unfolded, on the first day of June 1921, the Greenwood District, 35 city blocks were burned and houses were destroyed in a matter of 24 hours. Your limit says that you built cities, not neighborhoods. Do you understand us being relegated to a neighborhood is beneath our people? When we built hundreds of towns, you talk about places like Lake Lanier, which is cursed. They put that lake over a black town. And that's not the only black town they put a lake over, you understand? And they've done all this in 24 hours because they were jealous of black people. Jealous. Because we left alone. You understand? Having us in a neighborhood, in a city they run, is a great thing. Because they can, they can keep us subjugated. They can use a white supremacist police forces to, to keep uh, us oppressed, harmed. They can they will allow criminality to go on. But trust me, if they want to gentrify an area, Pookie Ray Ray is out of there like that. It doesn't take long to remove Pookie Ray Ray out of the mix. But when but when they say what's well, a black area, you know that Pookie Ray Ray is allowed to be there. Pookie Ray Ray can go to jail a hundred times and he back out again. Like how did he back out? All the crimes he didn't commit, he back out? Yeah, they let Pookie Ray Ray be uh, terrorized. Pookie Ray Ray is allowed to do that by the police department. When they relegate us to a neighborhood, then they get mad when we become successful, and then now we're going to move outside our communities into other communities. Why all these black people want to come over here? Well, you took all the resources over here. You made sure this, this area don't have a bunch of criminality. So I got the money to be here. I won't be here. Now, if you don't want me here, let me know so I can sue. 
And make sure you say it because I'm black. You understand what I'm saying? Maybe if you if you would have the same opportunities in this area to the black area, then black people wouldn't come to your, your area. But for you, you got to feel like you're better. And you think you seriously think your skin color makes you better. Skin color doesn't make nobody better. It's that stupid. It's your skin. How does that make you better? That's that's a that, but see, when you don't have a culture, because culture matters. You understand that the, the, the culture the white supremacists have created is a demonic culture. You know, we hear this term culture used a lot within a delineation conversation, you know, with uh, black people, you know, throughout the diaspora. But culture do matter. And our culture isn't about oppressing people. We don't have a culture of generational hatred for nobody. We have a culture of being loving, being accepting, being honorable. Our black American culture is a righteous culture way more than the white supremacists. Now, unfortunately, the white supremacists, because of the allegiance they have and the deal they made with the devil, they want to pervert our culture, pervert our good nature. That's why you see a perverted culture right now. And then when you call that out, notice the white supremacists are even joining in and trying to go against any black person who call out the degenerate culture. For example, a lot of people was calling out Kiki Palmer about what she was wearing because, hey, this is not the norm for, for black women. And when black people call that out, we're saying this, we know Kiki Palmer is better than that. We expect better than that. But we don't want to see that sister paraded uh, all over the media like that. So when you love people, you chastise life and you're homeless. That's not the story for any immigrant group that comes into this country. None. And, and, and remember last night we talked about a choice that immigrants make to side with the white supremacists. They don't want to be siding with us because they, they claim they don't want, they're afraid to be treated like us. So that's the people that you want to make as your friend. The people that did all that. You know what I'm saying? I'm always saying Point me to the people who's most marginalized in any country. I want to go be their friend. And nine out of ten is always going to be the black people or somebody extremely dark. That's going to be my friend. So if you go to a place like Mexico, the, the black Mexicans, indigenous people like the Oaxacans, let me go holler at them. I don't want to talk to the white looking ones. I want to talk to them. I just did an interview last night on, on, um, on my Phil Scott Show channel. And I found out about, you know, the black Filipino. And I said, see, I said, that's part of what I want to do is go travel the world and go connect with black people no matter where we at. Because a lot of us is indigenous to a lot of these countries and that's never shown, right? The thing is, is that we have always been a people who have always tried to help people and not put anybody down. No, that's continue. Now, Oklahoma State Rep. Regina Godwin, whose great-grandfather was a well-known businessman in Greenwood at the time of the massacre, also spoke during the news conference. And this particular sister said, it's the court that holds the key and the cage of justice, and we've been waiting for 102 years for them to unlock it. How crazy is that? And then we have to think about all the folks and what they lost, lost lives, Folks were uh, deceased. 
It says, this generational injustice yesterday and tomorrow will be met by generational right. We ain't going nowhere. That's what the sister said. And she has a right to say that because you do need to fight for the battles that Black America has to fight. Black America has its own task. And right now, the battle for Black America is that we got to finish the work. See, one group of brothers and sisters fought to end slavery. Another group of brothers and sisters, you know, fought uh, during the time of Reconstruction. Then they went through Jim Crow. They fought to end Jim Crow. They fought to end redlining. They fought to do all these things. Now it's our turn to finish the job. Reparations is the final frontier for Black America. And if Black America get reparations, the diaspora is going to get reparations. Just like when Black America got the Civil Rights Act, a lot of nations in the African continent was given their independence right around that same time. So it's a big benefit to the whole Black world that Black people get reparations. This is why we tell people who immigrate here, we talk about those in the Black community, just be an ally. And if you if you don't understand it, just just work hard, build your life, be good. Because we gotta fight that. One thing we won't do is I won't do it. I won't go to nobody's country and tell them what they should and should not be getting. No, I'm happy to be there. I'm gonna be a great guest. I'll contribute what I can, but I'm never gonna get involved in your, your fights unless you ask me a question. And I'm still because I want to respect your homeland, right? But this is the deal here. We have to be so laser-focused on lineage-based reparations. We can't stop talking about it. We can't get distracted with side quests like a video game. Because when you're distracted with side quests, for instance, I hear a lot of conversations, people talking about um, Pan-Africanism. Now, there is a form of Pan-Africanism that I don't like. There's a form of Pan-Africanism where you have a bunch of dusty, uh, scammy, people, male and female, who's using Pan-Africanism to try to get a bag, right? And that's wrong. And what I mean by get a bag is it's done on scammy means. It's not even nothing to, to help enrich them. It's not to give them an actual connection with the continent or let them know what's really going on or, or whatever, right? It, it, it's, it's none of that. It's scam. Now, I practice a form of Pan-Africanism. Now, what is my form of it? Because everybody's form is different. I believe Pan-Africanism, this is my belief, not what y'all other people say, this is my belief. I believe that Black people globally should work together. Those who don't want to, throw them away. Those who want to, work with them. When you're working with other people, it doesn't mean you throw away your ethnic group. For instance, I feel more black American when I am over there. Or any country I am in the world, I feel more black American. I am at that time a representative of black America because people come to me and ask me questions about black America. So I want to give them the best answer I can. How many times have y'all seen me on African Network interviewing? And I always speak up and talk about black America. I don't put down our ethnic group. I don't talk crazy about it in the group. I don't say, oh, y'all, y'all better than us. I don't do none of that. I speak up and speak out because I love my group of people. Doesn't mean I can't work with other people in the diaspora, just like a person from South Africa. 
I would expect a, a brother or sister that's Zulu to put down Zulu people just because they working with other groups of black people. That's stupid. We have a vast diversity of culture in the black world. And all our cultures should be respected. All our cultures should be celebrated. Nobody's culture is better than others. Nobody. And that's how I view it. In my company, I work with people that's right here in America every day, black women and black men. I have more black women on the team than black men. And shout out to all the great sisters that I work with, whether they're here in America or in the continent of Africa. I got brothers that's on the team as well that's working with me. So I work with people every day from different countries. And that's a beautiful thing. So just because you believe that black people should unify and work together doesn't mean you put down your ethnic group, doesn't mean you don't fight for reparations. Because I always have asinine people say, well, you believe in Pan-African, because I see an African diaspora channel. Okay, does that mean I don't fight for black America anymore? I'm not a black American? Does that Has that stopped? I don't care how many trips I take to the motherland. I don't care if I move there tomorrow. I'm still going to be a black American. That is, I was born in the United States of America, Port Arthur, Texas. That's not going to ever get away from me. Period. I'm always going to have somebody here in America I'll have to see. I mean, not every black person going to move abroad. That's just call it what it is, and that's not going to happen. Unless something really happened where they have to have a mass exodus. But if it's not that, that's to be realistic. So we should fight for what's right our ethnic group. It's just that simple. Because I think that some of that conversation is side quests. And sometimes I see you get so focused on side quests that you're not keeping your, 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 your focus on reparations, lineage-based reparations. That's what the focus got to stay. Because one thing white supremacy is good at is distractions. If he can keep you on a several side quests before a side quest, then you're not focusing on the prize. Because one thing about black people, historically, when we get laser focused on one thing, or we, we get it done. We will go through hell and high water to get that thing done. Like the brothers and sisters in the civil rights movement. They were laser focused on getting some freedom for black people. And when you're laser focused, it don't matter what people that got taken out, you still laser focused. It wasn't about a leader, it was about the code at the time, and they got things done. <laughs> You know, white supremacists had to re-strategize after the civil rights movement because they wait a minute. We killed King, we King killed X, and that made them martyrs. That made them larger than life. If they had left Martin Luther King alone, we wouldn't have Dr. King Holiday. If they had left him alone. Malcolm X's name wouldn't be as big as it is today if they would have left him alone. You understand? If you take somebody out, you make them a martyr and you make them almost a deity to a lot of people because they see the sacrifice they made for the community. Was Dr. King perfect? Nope. Was Malcolm X perfect? Nope. The Honorable Elijah Muhammad created, you know, everything with the nation, and, and he solidified history for sure. The Honorable Elijah Muhammad did a lot for black people. But when you talk about the nation, nine times out of ten, people are going to talk about Malcolm X or right after him, Mr. Farrakhan. For the most part. Maybe Khalid Muhammad, another one. They'll talk about him. But they strategize and say, okay, we got to regroup 
We understood the black family was the key. We got to destroy the black family. We got to get them on drugs. We got to do all kinds of things to them. See, the white supremacists stayed on the attack, and that was our problem. We didn't stay laser focused because that group should have stayed laser focused. Once they got that, we crossed over that hurdle. The next hurdle was reparations, but they just parted in BS. And unfortunately, crack, you know, they allowed the crack epidemic and all that other mess came in. Bill Clinton's uh, 1994 crime bill, mass incarcerated uh, a lot of black people and, and so on this history. But now we have to be laser focused. And notice the Democrat Party is silent about this. You would think the Democrat Party would be like, you know what? We need to get in on this. We need to talk about this case. We need to spend party funds to help the lawyers, etc. Because the black people are kind of shaky with us, and we need to let them know that we are the party of uh, civil rights. And, then, and one thing I told you, Democrats and Republicans, they both agree. They don't want black people to be made whole. It don't matter. It don't matter what party it is. But we don't need them to, to, to for that. They didn't want us. They didn't want us on the plantation. They didn't want us out of Jim Crow. So for sure, they didn't, they don't they want us to have reparations. But we're gonna get reparations. We're gonna call those things that be not as though they were. But we speak spiritually, and then when you speak in the spirit, it's gonna manifest in the physical. That's how life works. There's been many times I when I didn't have what nothing I have today. I said I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna do that as a self-fulfilling prophecy. And a lot of things I said has happened. A lot of them. I'm enjoying some of the fruits right now of the things I said years ago when I was starting my platform in the bathroom of my, of my small apartment. So you can speak things into existence. And the white supremacists can't stand and we get laser focus on something. We, we, we get it done. Now, the white supremacists expect black people to go home crying about this, but no. We said, now we fight harder. We don't cry. We assess what happened, and we go hard. It's like we didn't cry about affirmative action. That shocked them. You don't cry about something that didn't benefit you. You fight harder for lineage-based reparation. Now, because the Supreme Court, what they said has actually helped the fight. When they called you freedmen, when they called you descendants of slaves, now they delineated you. And only the freedmen or the descendants of slaves is the only people that can get reparations. So that Supreme Court decision helped black people more than what they thought. Because once they use those uh, descents and all of that, you can use that in your reparations case. That we are a distinct group of people. They can't, we see that race can't be used, but lineage can. So we should continue to fight, pay attention to this case. All you, so once again, as I said earlier, all you Ivy League lawyers, where you at? Johnny Cochran, before he died, he was going to file a case on reparations. We all at. Continue. John, Johnny Cochran is one of, the, one of the greatest black attorneys that's ever lived. I wish he would have been a Supreme Court justice. He, he was the man. But we got to continue to fight for our community. The final frontier is reparation. And we got to stay laser focused on that. 